You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1848th edition of St Edmundsby News Talk for the 30th of September. The editor of this edition is Jill Gain. The producer is Mary Young and your readers are Jill and Nick Gain. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. Trust facing high demand. It's hard to trust anyone who comes in the house. Deputy Mayor's rallying call to residents to save the town. Once site is built on, we'll never get it back. Frontline staff and senior leaders at an NHS trust are working their hardest amid incredibly high demand, its board annual meeting was told this week. Helen Beck, Chief Operating Officer of West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, spoke at the online board meeting on Tuesday night. The annual meeting sees senior trust leaders look back at the previous year and assess what improvements need to be made for the following one. The main focus of Tuesday's meeting was the impact coronavirus has had on services. We find ourselves with significantly longer waiting times for procedures and the need to work with COVID-safe procedures, which has affected our efficiency, and therefore things do take longer, Mrs Beck said. Within the West Suffolk site, the remedial works have reduced bed capacity. Mrs Beck pointed to a new patient portal, which looks to reduce patient congestion in the trust hospitals by dealing with requests online and a collaborative approach between other trusts in East Anglia to deal with the backlog of procedures, as ways they were trying to deal with the current issues. Mrs Beck's comments were echoed by Craig Black, the new interim chief executive of the Trust, who admitted more staff were needed across different departments. Mr Black also said he would support a pay rise for NHS workers. Mr Black has taken over the role of chief executive from Steve Dunn, who stepped down during the summer after seven years with the Trust. Mr Dunn's departure came following a CQC report earlier this year which said West Suffolk Hospital needed to improve in several areas. The Trust is also awaiting the results of an independent report into West Suffolk Hospital over concerns about an alleged witch hunt for a whistleblower following the death of a patient. On Tuesday, Mr Black made a fresh reassurance to members of the public and trust staff on both concerns. We are absolutely committed to working on that advice and improving, he said. I would like to state publicly that we as an organisation got things wrong and we are sorry. We want staff to feel confident in raising concerns and we are taking action to improve the environment. As well as addressing current concerns at the meeting, Senior staff spoke of the impact of the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic. Mrs Beck said, We were learning as we went along. There was definitely no roadmap we could follow. We followed daily guidance, but that changed daily. It was a very uncertain and distressing time for all of us. Paul Molyneux, Interim Medical Director, explained how doctors and other colleagues struggled to fight the multiple waves of coronavirus cases, often with infections spreading amongst team members. He admitted staff were learning more every day about how to tackle the virus, though. We have learnt so much about how to treat COVID, he said. Treatments that have only become available this week. We continue to work as a system. We need to continue or empower staff. 
we also need to learn how we can effectively treat long COVID and, lastly, deal with the backlog of clinical work. A Berries and Tenements couple who were burgled by a carer say they now find it hard to trust anybody who comes into their home. The victims, who wish to remain anonymous, were targeted by Claudio Stupanian, who last week was sentenced to 28 months in prison for a string of theft and burglary offences. The 29-year-old was initially arrested on September the 8th, 2020, and following police inquiries was charged on April the 23rd this year with various offences in the Berry area. Among the offences carried out between July the 30th and September the 15th, 2020, last year, Stupanian stole World War II medals belonging to Normandy war veterans. The anonymous victim's car and house keys were also stolen during Stupanian's spree. A year after the incident, the victims have swapped care providers, but say it took six to nine months to build up some kind of trust with the new company and they still struggle letting people into their home. Because I couldn't look after my husband on my own, we had to continue with carers, but it's very hard to trust anybody who comes in the house, one victim said. I just had a lack of trust of anybody coming in. Those people who have given an important responsibility and it ruins your trust in everybody. Anybody who's had something stolen, you feel like you've been violated. There were other incidents, but this was the worst and it was a bit traumatic. The victim said while waiting to have their home door locks changed after their keys were stolen, they barricaded themselves in through fear of it being burgled. I put chairs up against the door because we couldn't be sure that someone might get to the locks, they said. Following Stupanian's sentencing, investigating officer PC Lisa York said, Stupanian started work with a care company in late July last year and exploited and preyed on the vulnerable in their properties, some of whom have now sadly passed away. These were people who entrusted him for their care and well-being, but he exploited this trust for his own selfish ends. This sentence handed down reflects the serious nature of this type of offence and demonstrates that the targeting of vulnerable victims in society will not be tolerated by the courts or the police. Some of Stupanium's other offences included three counts of theft of a motor vehicle, one count of burglary after a painting was stolen, and one count of theft of parcels from Amazon. Newmarket's Deputy Mayor has called for residents, councillors and representatives of groups and organisations to get together with ideas to rejuvenate the High Street and Town Centre. Speaking at a meeting on Monday, Councillor Chris O'Neill said the High Street and the current state of the town was the subject of constant negative comments, both on social media and made to him in person. I find myself saying the town council can't do anything about it, but the time for saying that is over, and it is time to have a discussion about what we can do about it, he said. And speaking after the meeting, he added, We just can't keep making up excuses. I would like to have an extraordinary meeting of the town sometime in November to thrash out the issues that have been raised but I don't want it to turn into a finger-pointing exercise. I would like to think something positive could come out of this for the good of the town. Councillor O'Neill said he wanted to schedule speakers from Newmarket BID, West Suffolk Council and Suffolk County Council to give presentations. We can see that Ely appears to be thriving, so I'd like to ask a representative from East Cambridgeshire Council to come along so we can think about what they are doing right and what we are doing wrong, he said. Parking charges are causing an issue, but they are not the only problem. I just feel we need to get a debate started so people can put forward their ideas and we can stop just saying there's nothing we can do. And some town residents are already doing their bit to improve the look of the town. Lieutenant Colonel Jamie Lawrence has been waging war on weeds and clearing pavements in Rowley Drive, where he lives, in St Mary's Square, and around St Mary's Church. In a letter to the Town Council's Community and Leisure Services Committee meeting on Monday, he has asked for members' support in rallying the troops and provide litter-picking equipment to encourage like-minded residents to joining him in his clean-up campaign. 
There is a social and moral imperative to keep our green spaces clean and tidy. And I sense there are others that would like to join me, he said. Newmarket as a town has slipped and is rather untidy and unkempt. I would like to reverse this in some small way. A councillor has called for plans to build 50 homes on the site of a Newmarket middle school, St Felix, to be ditched in favour of developing the land as a sport and recreation centre for the town. Newmarket town councillor Douglas Hall was speaking following the presentation of a development brief prepared for the 11-acre site in Fordham Road, which is owned by Suffolk County Council. Part of the land has been allocated for housing in West Suffolk District Council's local plan, the blueprint for how areas are developed, and Rob Hancock, who is responsible for residential development on County Council land across Suffolk, told County councillors on Monday that housing was one of the authority's top priorities. The housing planned would be private and sold on the open market, with just 10%, five properties, being classed as affordable. At the meeting, Councillor Hall, who is chairman of the Council's Finance and Policy Committee, said, We have a very limited supply of land available for public use in Newmarket, and I am not sure why we have to have houses, as permission has recently been given for 400 just across the road. Yes, we have the George Lampton playing field, but the council does not own that, it is only leased. Speaking after the meeting, Councillor Hall said after looking at aerial photographs of the town, he was shocked at how much land had been lost. I'm not anti-development, but it'd be wrong to waste the opportunity we have of having a recreational public space the town could be proud of, he said. Newmarket has a very successful running club, but unlike Bury St Edmunds, the town doesn't have a running track. This site has so much potential and to cover a large part of it with housing would be a mistake, because once it is built on, we can never get it back. This is a fantastic opportunity to develop a sports hub for Newmarket. We don't want people to have to go out of town for these facilities. We want to keep people in Newmarket. The public consultation period is scheduled to run for six weeks, at the end of which the county would submit its brief to West Suffolk Council, the planning authority, with an initial decision expected by the end of the year. A Haverhill woman is taking on the London Marathon this weekend just six months after giving birth and four weeks after getting married to help a cause close to her heart. Bethany Stewart, 28, is running in support of the charity Cure Parkinson's because two of her aunts have the incurable disease. She started her running journey only last year as it gave her a focus when her wedding was postponed due to the first lockdown. Soon after she had been granted a place in the marathon, Bethany found out she was expecting her first baby, Grace Stewart. She said, I was on maternity leave until two weeks ago. I managed to fit in training three or four times a week, running when my husband got home from work or I had family visiting. We got married four weeks ago, so it was a great stress release from having a newborn baby and planning a wedding. This is my first marathon, so naturally... I'm nervous, but I'm also so excited and cannot wait to be a part of it and experience the atmosphere. I'm also feeling such a massive sense of achievement for getting this far already. Cure Parkinson's is an emotive choice of charity for Bethany, as her aunt Tina, her mother's twin, and another aunt, Christine, both live with a progressive condition. Bethany said of Tina, She isn't really an aunt to me, more of a second mum. When I was around 15, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Not long after this, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, which she managed to fight and beat. She hasn't had it easy, and I can see how Parkinson's affects her everyday life. She doesn't let her condition stop or hold her back, even though I know some days she struggles and gets frustrated with her inability to do certain things that she previously could do. I just wish there was more to help her, and giving to a charity that works towards this was my only option. Of her aunt Christine, Bethany added, Each day is a reminder of this terrible neurological disease which places many challenges on her, things that most people take for granted. She is a true fighter and a wonderful aunt. Parkinson's has no cure at present, but with your kindness and generosity, 
we can all help to take a step closer to finding one. Patients of a former Mildenhall GP surgery feel ignored and let down after plans to offer services at the town's new hub were shelved, according to a county councillor. Red Lodge's Reynard Surgery announced this week it would consolidate its GP services under one roof rather than offer a satellite service at Mildenhall Hub, as originally planned when the town's White House surgery closed last year. In a patient engagement exercise, the Reynard Surgery wrote to around 2,500 of its Mildenhall patients asking for their views on delivering services solely from Red Lodge with 100 patients giving feedback. Debbie Allen, practice manager, said, Though initially a hub location was seen as the best option, new working practices over the last year, combined with encouraging patient feedback, has informed us that consolidating services at Red Lodge is the best option. But Suffolk County Councillor Lance Stanbury said he had been approached by many patients of the White House who feel ignored and let down by the decision. I believe the public consultation was a sham and the outcome was a foregone conclusion, putting patient care behind this privately managed GP's practice's desire to save the money. The decision of Reynard Surgery to close Mildenhall practice will prevent elderly and infirm people from gaining access to this service with bus services extremely poor. It is also another blow to the vitality and attraction of Mildenhall Town as a destination. The hub is a state-of-the-art facility and would have provided a first-class medical service, which in my view has been squandered for the sake of saving the GP's money. A service of remembrance was held at the Old Independent Church in Haverhill last Saturday in memory of Alan Charlwood. Alan was head of music at Castle Manor School from 1972 until he retired around 1987. He set up the music school at Haverhill, which was exceptionally successful. In 1988, he became director of music at St Mary's Church in town until 1991, when he formed St Nicholas Choir, an independent choir that toured Europe and America. Alan, who lived in Sturmer, died in March 2020, aged 86. Breckland Council's Cabinet approved the renaming of the park on Thetford's Button Island on Monday, recognising the town's Punjabi connections. The park will be called the Park of Maharaja Ranjit and Duleep Singh. Paul Clausen, the council's deputy leader, said, Thetford has a highly significant connection to Duleep Singh. Thetford remains a prominent cultural site for the British Punjabi community and Punjabi visitors from overseas. A musician whose stellar CV includes globally renowned orchestras and numerous West End shows has returned to his roots to play in Haverhill. After more than 30 years, Haverhill Silver Band has welcomed Steve Rinaldi back to take the position of first trombone. Steve played with the band while at Chalkstone Middle School and Samuel Ward and later studied at the London College of Music and Trinity College of Music. His trombone career took him across the world, touring with the Burt Camphart Orchestra, the Glenn Miller Orchestra and the Pete Cattle Big Band and performed in many West End theatre orchestras, including for Oliver, Carmen, Jones and Crazy For You. He also toured with the Marty Webb Band, quadrupling on trombone bass, trombone, euphonium and tuba, and recently released Rinaldi Sings, a solo album. Bury St Edmunds Town Centre has received a boost after a survey found an overwhelming majority would recommend it for a visit. The online survey of residents' and visitors' views about the town centre and how their use of it might have changed due to COVID-19 was commissioned by Business Improvement District organisation Our Bury St Edmunds. Of the more than 1,100 people questioned, 91% said they would recommend a visit to the town centre, 30% higher than the comparative national figure. Nearly 70% endorsed the town's restaurants and café, which was double the national average. Although 50% said they visited the town at least once a week, the frequency of visitors, visits had declined due to the pandemic, as well as working from home and people only taking trips into town for specific purchases. Just over half of participants praised the town's cleanliness in the survey, 
carried out by researchers from people and places, and 56% spend longer than two hours on a typical visit to the town centre. More than 60% also praise the town's physical appearance. However, 42% rated car parking as a negative aspect of Bury St Edmunds and called for more, cheaper car parking. Mark Cordell, chief executive of our Bury St Edmunds, said he wanted to discuss with West Suffolk Council how parking facilities opportunities can be better matched to the needs of the public. The results of the survey, he said, provided reassurance that the town centre was appreciated by the vast majority of people. The Lark Family Hub, formerly the Lark Children's Centre, has moved to the newly developed Milton Hall Hub from its former base in Recreation Way. The full-time family hub, which will deliver all the services delivered by the Children's Centre, also incorporates services delivered at the Health Centre. The new building provides the hub with the opportunity to deliver a wider and more proactive service to children and young people aged up to 19 and their families. James Reader, Suffolk County Council's Cabinet Member for Children's and Young People Services, said, The hub will allow us to deliver joined-up, community-based high-quality services to families, providing a complete approach to health, education and safeguarding. It will also allow us to explore new ways of working collaboratively. A former motorcycle dealership in Bury St Edmunds could be converted into a bar, coffee shop and nine apartments. Plans submitted to West Suffolk Council include a remodelling of the Bowers showroom in Risbygate Street to include a potential bar and separate coffee shop on the ground floor and nine flats above with a rear extension, rooftop extension and parking. An existing ramp to the side of the building would be removed and vehicle access provided to a parking area at ground floor level. Bowers closed in August 2018. Students of a Haverhill Dance School took to the stage again for their annual show last weekend after 18 months of disrupted classes. The latest show by the Lisa Mason School of Dance was appropriately named Dance Again and took place at the Haverhill Arts Centre. Principal dance teacher Lisa Mason was ecstatic to be back performing again. She said, Following the past 18 months we've had, it was important to get back into the stage and perform again and to give our dancers that spark back. It's been a very challenging time for them and I recognise the need to go ahead and perform despite the many hurdles we've faced in recent months. We only started moving our dances and changing places in August, not long before our show, and I can categorically say the dancers did an amazing job. They made me and my assistant dance teachers very proud. I have had so much positive feedback from members of the public who came to see the show, and many parents commenting on the professionalism and standards of our dancers have reached despite this pandemic. Dancers ranging in age from 3 to 50 plus performed routines covering many different styles including ballet, lyrical, modern, tap and contemporary. Lisa thanked everyone who went to watch the shows. After months of not meeting, West Wickham and District Local History Club is to resume its series of talks on Monday, October the 11th from 7.30pm at West Wickham Village Hall. The talk, entitled West Wickham 100 Years Ago, Then and Now, will be given by Janet Morris. Due to Covid protocols, there will be no refreshments given out after the talk. The port of Felixstowe has become one of the busiest destinations for container ships in Europe, and our archive pictures show its expansion over the decades. Aerial pictures taken in 1967 and 2002 reveal how the sprawling port has taken over the surrounding land over a 35-year span. Landguard Container Terminal, which was the UK's first purpose-built container terminal, opened in Felixstowe in July 1967, sparking the port's growth to become the eighth busiest in Europe. Work began on an expansion at the north of the port in 1979, and Trinity Container Terminal 
had doubled in size by the time the project was completed in 1988. Much of the land is owned by Trinity College of the University of Cambridge, which purchased it in the 1930s. Today, the port employs around 3,500 people and occupies a huge 8,360-acre site. It has recently welcomed famous vessels in the Ever Given, which blocked the Suez Canal earlier this year, and the Ever Ace, the world's largest container ship. Sir Keir Starmer has denied that he is leading a more divided Labour Party than ever after the split with the left deepened when a shadow cabinet member dramatically quit mid-conference. The Labour leader insisted winning elections is more important than unity as he said Andy MacDonald was wrong to allege the divide has widened within the party since he took over from Jeremy Corbyn. But Sakia risked further damaging relations with the left of the party by opposing a £15 an hour minimum wage, one key reason Mr MacDonald cited in his resignation. He said he would not back a motion brought by the Unite Union at the party conference in Brighton calling for a raise, instead sticking by plans to raise it to £10. Sakir was also refusing to reinstate the party whip to Mr Corbyn until he apologises for his controversial remarks in response to a report on anti-Semitism within the party. The leader denied he was happy to see the departure of Mr Macdonald, the last ally of the former leader in his top team, and insisted he was incorrect to claim our movement is more divided than ever. Speaking to BBC News in Brighton, Sakir said, He is wrong about that, but my focus is on how we get Labour into position to win a general election. He defended the tough decisions to change our party, which included changing the rules to mean any future leadership contender would need greater support from Labour MPs in a move seen as an attempt to shut out radical challengers. Sakir accepted there will be some people who don't agree with those changes, but urged critics to abide by them. Labour sources have suggested there was no sense of sadness in the leader's office to see Mr Macdonald go. But Sakir told Sky News, I'm not happy to see him go. I thanked him. Asked what is most important to him, unity within the party or winning, Sakir said winning, winning a general election. I didn't come into politics to vote over and over again in Parliament and lose and then tweet about it. I came into politics to go into government to change millions of lives for the better. Trees could help make an annual event, which burns through more than 100,000 litres of jet fuel for entertainment, become carbon neutral. Tendering District Council has pledged to look at measures to offset the carbon footprint of the Clacton Air Show, which also generates 275 tonnes of CO2 through environmental schemes including tree planting. That has already been adopted in Bournemouth, which the council there pledged to offset the Bournemouth Air Festival carbon footprint, created from jet fuel emissions after partnering with nationally accredited Carbon Footprint Limited. Now Tendering Council has pledged to follow up recommendations from the Resources and Services Overview and Scrutiny Committee on how it can do more to make the festival more carbon neutral, including the options pursued by the Bournemouth Air Festival, whereby trees were planted for each tonne of carbon used at the air show. The show attracts around 250,000 people over the two days and brings in about £5 million to the local economy. Two giant prisons, holding nearly 3,500 inmates between them, could be built on land around an RAF base in North Essex under government proposals. The Ministry of Justice has published plans for the new jails at Wethersfield Air Base around six miles north of Braintree. The site will hold Category B and Category C adult male prisoners in two prisons that each have a total capacity of 1,715, according to documents setting out the plans. The Ministry of Justice documents say one of the centres will be a training prison, meaning it will hold long-term and high-security prisoners. The other is planned to be a resettlement prison, which would hold lower-risk prisoners and prepare them for release. Some of the inmates at the prison could be released on temporary licence during their sentence. 
Newly appointed prisons minister Victoria Atkins said the government is expecting to see an increase in demand for prison places as court activity begins to ramp up following the end of Covid restrictions. In the Ministry of Justice consultation papers, Mrs Atkins said, As part of our work to drive down crime, we have committed to creating 18,000 additional prison places by the mid-2020s through a combination of building new prisons as well as extending, refurbishing and maintaining existing prisons. We believe that following detailed feasibility work, land next to Wethersfield Air Base would be a good location for two new prisons as part of the prison estate's strategy. A parent was left very angry and a headteacher frustrated after Axe anti-vaccine protesters were found leafleting outside two Bury St Edmunds schools. St Benedict's Catholic School in Beaton's Way was targeted over the summer with anti-vaccine stickers and placed on school buildings. And last Friday morning, anti-vaccine protesters stood outside the school and County Upper in the same road, handing out leaflets to students who were heading inside. Michael Pope, father of Keeley Pope, 13, who has just started at County Upper this year, took to Facebook to voice his anger following the incident and said, Children have enough to worry about going to school at the moment without people like this trying to scare them more. Imogen Senior, head teacher at St Benedict's, said, Whilst we fully recognise the importance of free speech, we think it is important that students and young people are not targeted in this way. A Suffolk Police spokesperson said they could not intervene during the incident because it was the residents' right to lawful protest, while they balanced that against public safety. Enthusiastic volunteers have been joining archaeologists for the latest community dig at Clare Castle Country Park, which is due to conclude on October the 8th. The park's castle is a scheduled monument, but archaeologists from Cotswold Archaeology have been awarded a special dispensation to dig there. This is the third and final dig. On Sunday there is an open event for the public to go and see what has been excavated and what has been found. The event starts at midday and finishes at 4pm and exhibits will be housed in the park's old goods shed. Park trustee Richard Smith said the National Lottery Heritage Fund project started in 2018 and takes place each year for a three-week period, with the exception of last year, postponed because of the coronavirus pandemic. Around 35 community volunteers join each dig, which on a daily basis will last from about 9.15am until after 4pm. It has transformed our knowledge of the castle and given us so much information, he said. This year, the finding of the remains of a collapsed building in the inner bailey of the castle has yielded glazed ornamental floor tiles and fragments of glass from the late 13th century and early 14th century, indicating it might have been a chapel or high-status home. As happened in the 2019 dig, a skeleton was also discovered during the excavation. The previous dig had established that the site contained a late Saxon cemetery and one of the aims this year was to discover more about its relationship with the earthworks. Thetford Academy has relaunched its sixth form as Thomas Paine Sixth Form. The change in name comes alongside a new expansive website and leadership programme. Students will be given a chance to choose one of the five leadership programmes to follow, which will prepare them to be future leaders in a particular specialism. The pathways on offer are business leadership, community leadership, creative arts leadership, sports leadership and STEM leadership. As part of the scheme, all students will have the opportunity to complete the relevant accredited leadership qualifications, such as Gold Arts Award and Young Enterprise. Dan Carter, principal, said Thomas Paine Sixth Form is a fantastic bridge into the world of work or further study at university. We are ambitious for our students and our carers programme will help you get where you want to go. We go beyond academic qualifications. We will develop your life skills. We will challenge you and give you responsibility through our Students' Union, Societies and Work Experience programme. Newmarket residents are among those being urged to get involved with the Festival of Suffolk, which is being planned to mark the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in 2022. Everyone from residents and community leaders to charities, local authorities, 
health and education providers, businesses, faith groups, youth organisations and the military are being asked to put forward ideas for how best to showcase Suffolk. The festival will shine a light on all the aspects of Suffolk life and will form part of the national celebrations already been planned for next year, with 60 organisations across the county having already signed up to take part. Lord Lieutenant Clare, Countess of Euston, said, This is a celebration of Suffolk during the Queen's historic Platinum Jubilee in 2022. It will bring together all people and communities in joyful celebration and create a powerful legacy to increase the visibility of our county and improve local lives for many years to come. Together, let's shine a spotlight on Suffolk, opening up opportunities, connections and improvements for everybody. May the 14th will also see the Newmarket Jubilee Race Day take place to mark the occasion. Almost £50,000 worth of town centre gift cards have been brought in the past year. The dedicated Our Berries and Edmunds gift card was launched last October by Berries and Edmunds Improvement District, known as BID, B-I-D. Hundreds of cards have been purchased, according to the Business Support Organisation, with the gift cards now accepted by 60 different businesses. BID CEO Mark Cordell has been pleased with the progress. He said, Since October, nearly £50,000 in value has been spent on our Berry St Edmunds gift cards, which may not otherwise have been spent here, benefiting the local economy. Gastronomy in Abbeygate Street is one of the most popular businesses in the town centre, where customers have been spending the gift card. Owner Mike Simonetti said the card was being used in his restaurant on a regular basis and in many cases by new rather than existing customers. He added, We are delighted to support this and would encourage others to do so if they haven't yet taken advantage of it. Mr Cordell added, With 60 different businesses accepting the gift card, the most recent to sign up being Revel Outdoors, we can see that money is being spent broadly across the local economy. Quite a number of people are buying an experience such as a meal out or a visit to the Apex or the cinema. But we are also seeing a lot of card spend in our shops, whether that's in the smaller independent gift shops or large stores that offer a wider range of items. Residents of two Haverhill streets are in the money as their postcodes were drawn in the People's Postcode Lottery Daily Prize Draw. Withersfield Road and Trappel Drive were both winners last week, with the former chosen during Tuesday's draw and the latter drawn on Thursday. The lottery announces 20 postcodes every day to win the daily prize, which sees each resident of the chosen street win 1,000 per ticket played. A spokesperson for the People's Postcode Lottery said all residents on these two streets who bought a ticket for the draw would be contacted to inform them of their win. The lottery also offers Saturday and Sunday prizes where winning postcodes each win £30,000 and monthly draws where players in one postcode share £3 million or more. Students, past and present, helped a Bury St Edmunds Primary School mark its 70th anniversary. Tollgate Primary celebrated the birthday last Friday and saw current pupils dress, dress up in outfits spanning the seven decades. Some 300 former pupils also visited the school the following day to reminisce and view old photos and artefacts. Hannah Brookman, head teacher, said, We are very proud to reach 70 years and we were delighted to celebrate this achievement both within school and by holding an open afternoon last Saturday. We spent last week looking at the history of the school and also historical events from the last 70 years, which the pupils found very interesting. She added, The open afternoon gave us a wonderful opportunity to talk to past pupils and families about their recollections. Plans to restore the historic domed observatory at the Athenaeum have been put on hold. Mike Kirkham, chairman of the Athenaeum Astronomy Association, AAA, said the group was stuck in a chicken-and-egg situation. It was estimated that the project, started by Association founder Richard Young, just before he set up the group in November 2015, 
would cost around twenty-five to £30,000 and would have seen the Angel Hills site's Grade 1 listed domed observatory and original telescope built in 1859 restored. Mike said, We've made this tough decision with huge regret, but we have got to call it a day. We are a voluntary group of astronomers and the bottom line is we just cannot afford it. After trying methods such as a GoFundMe page and being given donations from their free presentations, the AAA approached a professional fundraiser. The group's agreement with West Suffolk Council, which owns building, only has a three-month notice period and the fundraiser advised them to get a longer term before looking for funds. Mike said, So we discussed with the council for an agreement which would have seen it go up to five years, but it could not be completed as it involved us getting a solicitor and became a long and costly process. So now the plans, which would have seen the group do small tours and stream talks as well as fitting high-definition cameras to the observatory's Troughton and Sims telescope, are to be mothballed. Mike said, Without the couple of thousand pounds to complete the agreement, we cannot go out to people for funds and no one will fund us knowing we are not there for the long term. Thanks to the lights of Tim Peake and Dr Brian Cox, the popularity of astronomy is again on the increase and this situation is not just a shame but a travesty. I really hope in some way as we head towards Christmas we will have a miracle that someone might read this and say we cannot let this happen. We cannot deny the people of Bury this chance. A one-day history and cultural festival will visit Stowmarket in October. The Time Machine Festival will reveal stories about the area and celebrate the past, present and future at locations right across the town. Produced by the Stowmarket Culture Group, the event will be taking place across the town from 9am October the 9th. Hundreds of dog owners and their four-legged friends descended on a park for a sponsored walk to support a charity which helps deaf people. More than 200 people and 260 very important pups took part in the Great British Dog Walk at Ickworth Park in Horringer on Saturday. The event, postponed during the pandemic, was in aid of hearing dogs for deaf people, with all pooches sporting limited edition charity bandanas. It will raise funds to help the charity train more dogs to alert deaf people to important and life-saving sounds, as well as provide constant emotional support and companionship. Rachel Clark, Hearing Dogs Community Fundraising Manager for the region said, We were really impressed with how many people from Suffolk and further afield showed up to enjoy the Great British Dog Walk. These walks were postponed twice in the past 18 months, so seeing people and dogs enjoying themselves outdoors while supporting our work was absolutely wonderful. Every walker will directly help us to train more dogs to change the lives of deaf people, so we greatly appreciate the support they showed us by coming along. We had people there with and without dogs, and there was such a great community feel with everyone coming together to walk for a good cause. It costs about £40,000 to fully train and support a hearing dog for the duration of its life, and hearing dogs for deaf people receives no central government funding. Pumpkins are nearly ready for the picking at pumpkin patches in Ruffham and Undley. For the first time this year, Ruffham Pumpkin Patch is open at weekends from October the 2nd and daily from October the 25th. Meanwhile, the long-established pumpkin patch and maize maize at Undley is also gearing up for its seasonal opening on October the 2nd. Living Barry Peters, the editor of the Bury Press, says, You suffer a heart attack. Along comes an ambulance with sirens blaring and paramedics to support you. You have a fire in your home. Along comes a fire engine. You are attacked or robbed. Along comes a police officer to catch the offenders. Simple and maybe naive solutions to some of our worst fears. But what happens if you suffer a far less horrific, but nevertheless just as painful, toothache. Where do you turn and how much cash will you need? More and more people are finding the pathway to an NHS dentist, one fraught with hurdles and long distances. Now, Toothless and Suffolk are taking action with a march and demo. The root of this issue and others strikes at the heart of our expectations of the NHS in 2021. 
What can we expect in terms of social care? Where does the private funding start and the public money run out? We are proud of our NHS. The clap for carers showed millions of us were so very grateful for the work of the NHS through the pandemic. But we appear to be approaching a care crossroads if we've not already arrived and there's a big price tag hanging from the directional sign. All political parties need to pick up and deal with this hot potato as a matter of urgency. There's no hiding place. David Flaherty writes, Could supermarkets use smaller lorries? We should ask the supermarkets why, if they have a shortage of stock due to a lorry driver shortage, why don't they use non-HGV lorries? There's plenty of people out there who can drive them and would be happy to. Also, why are they having sales if there's a shortage? My Tesco has lots of empty shelves, yet they are advertising on TV a Tesco club card sale. It seems to me it's scaremongering to boost sales and an excuse to raise prices near Christmas. Martin Webb from Berries and Edmonds says, We left the EU with a terrible deal. Recently, a lot of the post-Brexit trade problems have been blamed by some on the intransigent, almost vindictive nature of the EU. This may or may not be the case, and I doubt that it will be proved either way. However, if the EU is being obstructive, our politicians must shoulder their share of the blame. They pulled us out of the EU. After what have been termed difficult or even acrimonious meetings, with an agreement which leaves very much to be desired, unlike countries such as Iceland, Switzerland, Norway or Canada, all of which have agreements which took time to hammer out. We have left the EU with a terrible deal, as, at the time, members of the government wanted freedom from the EU so that Britain could plough its own furrow unhindered and that freedom as quickly as possible. However, all trade discussions between sovereign states have always been lengthy and based on precision and compromise. It seems to me that we have ministers who lack the competence to negotiate, feeling that British exceptionalism should be enough to strike a deal. The rest of the world seems to think otherwise. I fear that we have a government whose members care more about their own careers than our country, its well-being and reputation on the world stage. I cannot understand why these politicians who have displayed such incompetence and wasted so much time and so much of the nation's wealth and reputation on this ideologically mo motivated make-up-as-you-go-along project should be treated so leniently. Sadly, nor can I see the recent reshuffle making much difference. The phrase that comes to my mind and to the minds of many others contains the words deck chairs and Titanic. However, I hope for the sake of our country that I am proved wrong. Peter Critchley writes, The poor are being made poorer. It beggars belief that the government seems hell-bent on policies that make the poorest in our society even poorer. I believe I am right in saying that our own MP, Joe Churchill, supported 1. the cancelling of free school meals during the Christmas break, 2. reducing the overseas aid budget, and now 3 withdrawing £20 per week from the universal credit benefit. Imagine the uproar if the government suggested taking £20 per week off every MP and other wealthier members of society. But none of them but bat an eyelid when it is taken off the poorest. Quite happy, as we have heard on the news today, to give money to the gas companies whose directors are making millions out of selling the product but turn a blind eye when it comes to helping those struggling to pay for an overpriced privatised product. Some of these poorest paid people are those who were on the front line through the pandemic, whether working in hospitals or care homes, and look how the government has treated them. The PM initially offered these workers a 1% rise and then increased it to 3% following a political backlash but analysis shows that this rise will be more than cancelled out by the £20 per week reduction in universal credit, and this without the extra burden of a 1.25% national insurance tax increase, which affects the less well-off, because it starts at a lower level than it would if income tax was used. Government data 
shows that overall nurses and care home workers already on low pay will be £940 a year worse off. One of Miss Churchill's colleagues, Theresa Coffey, MP, said that all these workers need to do is to work a couple of extra hours a week. Such a remark just shows how out of touch Conservative MPs are with the real world and she should have been sacked on the spot. I was under the impression that your local MP was supposed to represent the views of their constituents. I have to believe too that the vast majority of the readers of the Bray Free Press would not condone making the poorest in society, especially those who gave up so much during the early days of the pandemic, even poorer. Tony Mendham says via email, After seeing the video of the brawl at last Saturday's Newmarket race meeting, I should like to say that my experience was entirely different. As my daughter pushed me from the car park to join the happy throng, there was an impression in the air that we were all going to a very special event, and so it turned out to be. Excellent racing and great curses he given to me. One young man, noticing my daughter pushing me towards the toilet, asked her if I needed any help. After the six races, we left the racecourse in the glow of having had a lovely afternoon's racing. Ian Smith writes, Selfishness has led to fuel shortages. I felt I must put pen to paper just to say well done to those of you buffoons who were selfish, inconsiderate, and responsible for the queues at the various petrol stations last Friday when, after being told that there was not a petrol shortage and therefore no need to panic, you did exactly that, and as a consequence created fuel shortages for other road users. Just a thought perhaps if the media had not announced the small minor problems with fuel deliveries in the first instance, then the Friday queuing which is also continued over into Saturday might not have happened in the first place. Question. What percentage of the petrol panicking readership were also responsible for the loo roll shortage last year when the Covid lockdown episode first began? Hands up! Well done for being part of the selfish, me, me, I'm alright Jack society. Wear your badge with pride. And now for some features. The first one is about Griffrey's Jones. Griffrey's Jones has visited the children's each East Anglian Children's Hospice, Treehouse in Ipswich, after announcing he will be bringing big names, including Stephen Fry and Eddie Izzard, to the Regent Theatre to fundraise for the charity. Rhys Jones, who lives in Suffolk, said many of his celebrity friends will stay with him after the show, titled Happy Christmas, Ipswich 2. Today's visit was the first time the comedian has visited the treehouse since the start of the coronavirus pandemic and he described it as a really impressive place. He said, I love it because in a funny way people think of hospices as being slightly scary but the great thing is the whole place is not really about death. It is about life. It is about people getting the most out of life whatever the circumstances. That's what really fills it full of hope and it is about love and courage. Those things are really written all over this treehouse, and it is a great joy to come here. The star first got involved fundraising for each five years ago, starting with smaller shows. I said we shouldn't be doing little shows, we should be doing big shows. After a successful Christmas show in 2019 and a brief break due to Covid, Rhys James is excited to be bringing university friends Clive Anderson and Stephen Fry to Ipswich. He added, We've got really experienced comedians coming like Eddie Izzard. If I had known Eddie was coming, we would have booked the stadium rather than the Regent Theatre. Speaking about a difficult year for each and all charities due to the coronavirus pandemic, Rhys Jones said it was important that stars do their bit. He said, the ordinary people of East Anglia put their hands in their pockets for the charity. This is a show for the big names to show they care as well. Helen Sadler, whose daughter Erin, seven, has been supported by each during the pandemic, said, Happy Christmas Ipswich sounds like a very special event, and from my point of view I'll always do anything I can to promote each fundraisers. It's important to me and my way of repaying the people who have helped and supported Erin. Alistair Brownlee was among a stellar lineup for spectators 
at the King's Forest as organisers Golazo Cycling hosted a thrilling inaugural British Gravel Championships. The former two times triathlon Olympic gold medalist did not disappoint as he went on to claim the New Jersey at the event near Bury St Edmunds on Sunday. The 33-year-old finished the 70-kilometre course as the first British male rider, fractionally behind New Zealander Ryan Christensen. Brownlee crossed the line in 1 hour 50, 59 minutes to take the acclaim of the crowd in the new stylish white top alongside outright female winner Ruth Astle. The King's Cup Gravel Festival took place over three days from Friday and included a gravel fondo, essentially a gravel-based sportive for amateurs to dry their hand at the sport on the same course as the championships. Participants were able to choose from the long course, 700, sorry, 78 kilometres, or short course, 52 kilometres, which both consisted of laps in the sandy and scenic King's Forest, situated near Culford and West Stowe. The 70-kilometre course that was used for Sunday's headline events was a mixture of gravel, track, grass, sand and woodland trails and featured 400 metres of climbing. Spectators witnessed a thrilling race as Christensen, Brownie and Mason broke away from the leading pack just after the Strava sprint segment on the second of three laps. The trio set a blistering pace as they raced towards the finish. Mason led the group down the penultimate straight, but Christensen attacked into the final corner, taking the inside lane and racing home to take the race win. Mason ran out of space on the outside of the turn and Brownlee snuck through to come home second for the race and first British rider and therefore securing the British Gravel Championship jersey. A woman's field was also packed with talent. Ruth Astle attacked on the Strava sprint segment on the first of three laps and then put on a stellar performance to open a commanding lead. India Lee in second and Danielle Shrewsbury in third could not follow the pace as Assel powered on and opened a near five-minute gap, seeing her become the inaugural British gravel champion. King's Cup race commentator David Ree was blown away with how things went in its first year. He said, Seldom have I worked on an event with such an astonishing array of talent in its first year. World champions, national champions, World Cup winners, professional riders and a double Olympic gold medalist gave the crowd thrilling racing across all the age categories. When you have athletes of the quality of Alistair Brownlee giving 100% effort to become British champion, you know you've hit the jackpot. You've, con you've concocted the formula of the perfect gravel race. The King's Cup is here to stay. Galazo cycling director Malcolm Smith was also left delighted. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Jill, Nick and Mary, it's goodbye. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.